Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. On today's episode, Dave and Dr. Pygon will be discussing four different books to uniquely explore some of the principles and strategies of Win the 16. Welcome everyone to Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. As always, thanks to Carrie and the team for the support on the podcast. Please rate, review, follow us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. As well, please contact us at pygon1.com with any comments, suggestions, or desire for a conversation with Pygon One Consulting. Bud, welcome to season two of Win the 16 podcast. We missed you on the last two episodes. I did one solo on goals and grit for 2023. And then we were honored to have Margie Owens Klotz, the CEO of Owens Media. Margie shared her expertise on public speaking, which we all appreciate and learned a ton from. So, Bud, how you been? How you doing? Dave, good to be back, and I don't think I could be better. Uh, I want to comment. Great shows on your own. I missed you, though, uh, and I loved Margie's, especially the part about preparing and practicing for public speaking. Yes, that, that was great. It was funny. I had somebody I was talking to the other day, and... Uh, I believe it was Tony, and he had mentioned, he goes, I gave a speech the other day, but after listening to your podcast, luckily I knew everything inside and out because I didn't do both Ps, so I laughed when I got that. So um, kudos to Margie, Margie for what she did for us. So, but today's episode, we're going to discuss strategies, ideas, and thoughts that can help us all win the 16 and support us on our expedition in life. We're going to do it a bit differently. So here's what we th we're going to do, everybody. Bud and I are each going to share two books that we really enjoy, and we're going to discuss some of the different thoughts and ideas from these books that could assist everybody in winning their 16. Ultimately, the goal is for everyone today is just to receive a couple pearls to help you from win to win the 16. Maybe one of these books might sound of interest and propel you to read it, which is great. So you can dig deeper into the content if you'd like. Bud and I are always sharing quality books, articles, and things of that nature. So we said, you know what? Why don't we do this with the audience uh, for our podcast? So for our newer listeners, as well as just a reminder, Bud, why don't you please define Win the 16 for everybody? Back to the definition guy. I love it. Yes. So Win the 16. Each day we are given 16 waking hours to conquer. Win the 16 means taking full advantage of those hours. It means embracing discipline and making choices to achieve victories, no matter how small, throughout the day. Winning is a habit, and successes early in the day can cascade into further successes. Failure and unforeseen moments are sure to happen, but winning the 16 means course correcting and adjusting our mindset to optimize the moment, be our best self, and finish the day proud. Great. Thanks, bud. And I've had people ask me about digging deeper into Win the 16. And I do offer that program for Pygon One Consulting. But a step further, 
we will, I will be, I, well, I will, let me rephrase that. The book is done when the 16, and that will be coming out this spring at some point that we will announce in the next month or two. And we'll really dive in, in the book about optimizing your day, early successes, mindset, habits, discipline, mental toughness, accountability, and more. So it's coming. So we're excited about that. But do you want to go first or should I? I'll go first, Dave. That's Perfect. Great. So my first book recommendation is The Art of War, likely written 2,500 years ago by the Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu. It's a timeless work that remains influential today with people as diverse as Colin Powell and Bill Belichick. I love it for a couple of reasons. First, it really speaks to how fundamental some of challenges of life are. Much of the things we need to do to be successful remain the same as they were throughout time. I find great comfort in this. This is just what life is, always has been, and always will be. And if Sun Tzu could do this 2,500 years ago, we can do it too. Second, it offers great advice on the importance of goals, habits, discipline, and handling unforeseen challenges. It may be one of the oldest books on agency. It is when the 16, centuries before Pygon One Consulting patented the phrase. Finally, it's only about 100 pages and a quick read. It's got great quotes that can be easily referenced for daily reminders to help you win the 16. And, and my book review on this will essentially focus on the different quotes and how they apply to win the 16. I would have never done this one, Bud, because I would have butchered his name during it. So that, that I would have, that's why I couldn't do this one. So you had to do it. <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm not sure I got it right. And there's also some controversy, frankly, on who wrote it. They think it may be an am amalgamation of a couple of Chinese strategists that published under that pseudonym. So when, when I Googled how you say it, the one sounded pretty much exactly how you said it. So we'll okay. see. If, okay. Those aren't always 100% either. Like we've right. had that discussion about the internet. So sorry, but dig in, bud. Right. So I'm going to start with just a couple of the quotes that I think are really important and tie into Win the 16 with regarding motivations and goals. Great. So here he talks about ponder and deliberate before you make a move. If you don't know yourself or your enemy, you will, seek, you will succumb in every battle. If you do know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of battle. And I like this one a lot. Victorious warriors win first and then they go to war, while the defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. These will be really interesting to refer back to when we talk about my next book. These quotes stress the importance of knowing your true motivations and goals, and that once you do that, you can gain confidence in your ability to achieve them. Next set of quotes I want to talk about are, plan for what is difficult while it is easy to do and while it is and great while it is small great results can be achieved with small forces and a great soldier fights on his own term or he doesn't fight at all and then the final one in this is opportunities multiply as they are seized this is the win the 16 principles of habits and discipline helping you push that flywheel albeit slowly at first but ultimately allows you to explore your potential in really unknowable ways the third group of quotes I want to share with you are, be where your enemy is not. Secure ourselves against defeat lies in our own hands. For me, this is a great reminder of the agency that we all have 
and to avoid the things that hold me back, my own enemies, like making excuses, right? Creating time to think, being rushed, poor planning, lacking discipline, or other negative behaviors that keep us from exploring our potential. But I was thinking we were saying that to go on our day-to-day -day lives to win the 16, sometimes for everybody, it can be as simple as if we aren't prepared, let's say one of our goals for 2023 is living a healthier life, helping our body and mind. And at times, sometimes we don't always know what we're eating for dinner some nights. And that all goes to preparation. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, and that's when sometimes bad choices can come. So when I was thinking about that and that whole preparation piece, that's where to me it ties to win the 16. Simple daily stuff that if we're not prepared for, obviously we're not prepared for enemies and someone going to kill us. But what we are trying to do though out there in winning the 16 is we're trying to prepare for ourselves to win that day. And that was just something that popped in my brain as you were thinking of practical real world stuff that people are going through. Right, and how I like it, I agree. And I look at sort of be where the enemy is not. You know, for me, my enemy, the things that hold me back are maybe being lazy, right? Not being not setting habits and creating uh, rituals that uh, help me push through when my motivation is lacking, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a war analogy, although obviously the book is written in that way. There's multiple applications of the, the fundamental things he's talking about. So when I hear be where my enemy is not, it means do not be lazy, right? Be and, disciplined. And that's where the fun part of books come. You're reading about these topics that a lot of times we are not aware of or don't know this, and then we get caught up in the story of reading the book. But as we're thinking about it and how it relates to our own personal lives or professional lives, that's what the great tool of reading brings us, is we can take away these type of things in our world versus the story that they're communicating to us, which is awesome. Right, and I think it's why 2,500 years later, you know, people from politicians and businessmen and coaches and uh, of the like refer back to it. Um, the final thing I'd like to say about the book is he also notes five faults which lead to self-destruction. These are more tangentially tied to win the 16, but they're timeless. And so I thought they were worth highlighting here. One is avoid recklessness, avoid cowardice, it leads to indecision, fear, and inaction. Avoid a hasty temper. You make rash and emotional decisions. Um, be careful of the delicacy of honor. He's referring to ego and how it can get in the way. Be careful of being over solicitude with others. It leads to worry and distraction. You know, when you said cowardness, what I was thinking, but if I can interject, I was thinking I delayed starting Pygon One Consulting. I delayed our podcast, which we've been talking about for two years, three years. And I delayed writing a book because of, if I'm honest with myself, there was a bit of cowardness there. Weak trepidation, whatever you want to call sure, it. Sure. But that was popped through my brain again was I was putting this off. And if I'm honest with myself, there was a bit of being a coward there. So when you said that, that again relates to all of us in some way uh, when I think of cowardness, how we're potentially backing down and I can raise my hand and no one can see me in the audience or our podcast, but you can. I just raised my hand because I would say I was a bit cowardice there by putting off this 
because now that I've done it, it's been phenomenal for me in a hundred different ways. Right. <clears throat> you know, and cowardice too, I look at as fear. And I, I know we've got a, a, a podcast in the can where we're going to talk a little bit more about courage. We kind of touched on it earlier uh, with the Brene Brown discussion and yes. vulnerability and what have you. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that people aren't afraid. It's courageous people are afraid, but they, they have the strength and the fortitude to overcome that fear and to move forward and to take action. Uh, and what he's referring to, if you read the text of the book, is to avoid cowardice, uh, is avoid that inaction, right? Mm -hmm. You may be afraid, but you're, uh, and because of your cowardice, you don't act. And there's real danger in standing still on a variety of levels. Yes. I read a book this summer and it was a game changer. It was called Bet on You, How to Win with Risk. And Bud, the book talked about how people think about taking risk. What if I make that change? What could I lose? What would it cost? How could that risk affect me? And when I read this book, I felt like the authors were directly talking to me because they said, what is the risk if you don't do it? And that really changed my mindset when they articulated that, Bud. Yeah, and a lot of business guys will understand that too, right? There's a time cost and an opportunity cost of standing still. Um, and certainly that's true when you deal with financial work and, and, uh, and money. So yes. I think, you know, those all apply to that. Um, so in conclusion, I, I, I love the art of war. I've recommended it to friends. I've actually given it to colleagues. I've given it to my direct reports. It's an ancient text on Win the 16 that can help make you victorious being the person you want to be. Love it. Thanks, bud. Thanks for sharing that. So my first, first book is at a first glimpse when I start speaking on it, might seem it's just for leaders, directors, bosses, parents, teachers, people with leadership titles. And that's really not the case. Will this book help those folks? Yes. But this is for all. We all have a choice to be a leader is one of the first things I'd like to say. And we all have and should be leading ourselves. So this book has things in it that is to not only help us lead others, but it's also to help lead ourselves. And in this book, they discuss, or he discusses how leadership is not just a position, it's a choice. How many do all, how many of us who are listening today know of people who are in leadership positions, but they are not demonstrating leadership. I'd say we probably all say we know people Absolutely. that way. It's, it's a no brainer. Uh, we all have had that experience. And leadership is a choice, whether you have the title or not. We've discussed for decades that leaders might have a title, but ultimately they have to earn it. And I always think of leadership in this perspective, there's nothing more powerful, whether it's in our families, and when I go with the family position on this concept of leadership, when one of the kids in the household, when I say kids, whether they're 15 or 30, and by title, they are not the head of the household, right? That is mom, that is dad, usually, uncle, grandma, grandpa. When, when the kids step up and take leadership roles, it's so powerful for the siblings, not just for the parents who by title are the leaders. Same thing in a classroom with teachers. 
Same thing in the business world, same thing at the hospital. When somebody without the title steps up and leads, it's very powerful. So my first book is Trust and Inspire by Stephen Covey. It was published a little bit uh, more current than yours, bud. This was published in April of 2022. One of my personal core values is trust, as you know, bud. And by nature, what I do for a living is I try to inspire people to grow and push themselves and be their best self. So the title of this book, it had me at hello, trust and inspire. And for those of you people out there who've seen this movie, that comes exactly from Jerry Maguire. You had me at hello. So uh, I really enjoyed that book. But did you see that movie by any chance? I did. Oh. Loved it. Yeah, you're not Show a huge. Me the money. I'm surprised because I ask you about movies and very seldom do you see movies. So that's a whole other conversation for another day. It was but, a different life. <laughs> so the Win the 16 philosophy has philosophies have many pillars to it. And one of them's inspiration. In this book, Covey conveys how people want to be inspired. It's something many people just don't think about when they're leading. I think if I asked most leaders, they would say, oh yeah, yeah, inspiration's important and critical. But come Monday morning, we all get caught looking at what we've got to do that morning, that day, that week. How do we make our widget better? How do we fix the supply chain? And how do we keep moving forward and progressing? And sometimes that inspiration piece just gets left off our table through no fault of our own as leaders, just other things get in the way. What Covey does such a great job in this book, and it was a wonderful reminder for me, we can't let stuff get in the way. Teachers out there, you're leading your students, they need to be inspired and we need to help them. Parents at home, we sometimes get caught up. I know I do uh, with my kids, even though they're older now, all out of school, um, they need to be inspired. Why? I want to be inspired. Who doesn't? So Stephen Covey in this book really gets, really digs into inspiration is how we need to be leading people. The book also discusses collaboration and not telling. I think many of us who, when we are leading people, whether we have a title or not, we need to think about, are we collaborating with that person? Or are we across from that person or on a virtual communication with them telling them? Just a reminder, I can reflect back. I can reflect back three weeks ago when I did it with all the boys. I was more telling than collaborating at that point. So also that whole buy-in piece of getting as a leader, when we start telling, that's when we start to get people, especially if we do have a title, and we are leading them, managing them, directing them. Sometimes we can start telling them what their goals should be or could be instead of collaborating with. So that was one thing that jumped out at me that I thought was a big watch out because Bud, you and I have talked at length about goals on this podcast. We have to own them. They have to be ours. It's great to have a coach to give us ideas and help us, but ultimately we have to come up with our own goal. So tying this back to win the 16, to win the 16, inspiration is critical. We have to find it, whether it's our spouse, a friend, a coach that we hire, someone we work with, 
it's imperative as well as our goals we have to be the ones ultimately to drive that because the world is changing fast and inspiration and proper goal setting will only help us so let me walk you through when doctor i shouldn't say doctor when stephen covey gets into trust and inspire when he's talking about communing with people whether we have the title or not he gives gave me a great reminder that I think I try to keep in my brain all the time as I'm communicating, but I don't know if I always do. And he says, remember, the people we are talking to, they are human. They have wants, they have ambitions, just like you do, dreams, and they have talents. And don't lose sight of that as you're helping inspire them, as you're help leading them. So, but I thought that was critical for all of us listening as we're communicating with someone across from us, that human piece of it. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this, the inspiration stuff, especially as I've gotten older uh, and obviously more set in my ways uh, is so important, so important. Absolutely, absolutely. He does a nice job in the book talking about, I believe it's since the, he said, it's since the industrial revolution, most organizations have been leading people what he defined as this command and control style of leadership. This book, Covey promotes this trust and inspire. I thought I'd share some of the differences of that for those of you out there thinking, well, what's, what's command and control and how is that different than trust and inspire? I kind of got the idea with just the two words, trust and fire, but help me understand that. So I thought I would share. Command and control is more formal authority. Trust and inspire would be more of moral authority. Command and control is more of position and title, whereas moral authority would be influence. Command and control is more telling. Trust and inspire would be showing. This one was a, was a great one for me. Command and control leadership style was focusing on shareholders. Trust and inspire, focusing on all the stakeholders. And I'm going to stop at that one, but all of the stakeholders, I thought that was a great one for me. That one just popped up. I highlighted that when I was reading that a couple months ago. I just thought, what a different way of looking at it. And I will take this example into the business world for the women and men out there in the business world of how many times do some of us get caught up in that shareholder board of director mindset, whereas Stephen Covey is talking about in Trust Inspire. Yeah, we need to focus on the shareholders, absolutely. But we also remember we, have to, we need to focus on all the stakeholders. That could be the receptionist. That could be the assistant general manager and so on. So that was a great point. The last two I wanted to share that jumped out was, and we've talked about this in Win the 16, in the growth mindset, is that some people are fixed people versus people with that growth mindset of people. And that is continuing for the trust and inspire. Those people wanna grow. And trust and inspire, are we helping them grow? Whereas the command and control, sometimes we can get caught up in leading them more in a fixed mindset, just getting them to sell more of the widget. Uh, this last one I wanted to share was a potentially hidden agenda 
can come across in command and control. And let me say this, command and control leadership over the years clearly has done well. So I, I wanna make sure I articulate that. With that style though, there could be some people viewing that we could come across with a potential hidden agenda. Whereas the trust and inspire leadership style is more of an open agenda. So I just wanted to share that. I'm gonna leave you with this, Bud, and for everyone listening, and that is this quote. Covey says, be efficient with things. Be effective with people. I'm gonna say that again. Be efficient with things, but be effective with people. So I thought that was great. And you know me, but I always stick up for the millennials and the Generation Zs because they want to work for a purpose. They want to be inspired. I'm Generation X. I'm 53. I would make an argument. I don't care what generation. Who doesn't want to work for a purpose? And who doesn't want to be inspired? So, bud, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come right back to our next two books for everybody. So thank you for listening to Win the 16 and we'll be right back. If you're enjoying the Win the 16 podcast, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. To find out more about Pygon One Consulting, please visit pygon1.com. Welcome back everybody to Win the 16 podcast. Bud and I have two more books that we want to discuss to share some strategies and tips and ideas from these books that could help us all in our journey with Win the 16. But mine's a little shorter, much shorter. So why don't I go first? And then I know you're la the last one you'll finish the day out is a little bit longer. So I'll let you go second. How's that? Sounds great, Dave. All right. So, but you know, I've been into fables lately. So this book that I'm going to discuss today is a fable. My good friend in New York sent it to me over Christmas, so I got a chance to read it. And in the past, I've liked The Orange Frog. That is about happiness. Uh, I've also read this summer, The Energy Bus, and I love that, that one as well. Well, today's book is by Dr. Marley Adams. It is called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. The newest edition is 2022. I believe this is her fourth one. In the 16 has pillars in it, such as mindset, learning, growing, discipline, self-talk, coaches, coaching ourselves, And this book touches on these and more. So that is one of the reasons why I picked it. And uh, it was just a great recommendation from my buddy in New York, so thanks. The book is about questions we ask ourselves. So I wanna say that again, because I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I read this book. I just thought, oh, they're gonna tell me how to ask questions so I can do a better job when I communicate with my clients, when I coach people, when I talk to my brother, the kids, Susan, etc. And it does that, but it also talks about the questions we ask ourselves. And I think about that relating to Win the 16. How many times do some of us wake up or like, want to roll over in the mornings and that self-talk and questions start popping in our brain like why am i doing this should i do this so this book 
I found very helpful for me in my journey in winning the 16, because it is a journey. It is so true. One of the things that Dr. Adams communicates in his book is, we wonder why we get the same answers from our kids, or we get the same answers from our spouses, or we get the same answers from our people that we work with. It's because many of our questions are the exact same. So much of my experience in the business world has been on sales and marketing and consulting over the years. And I think back on how many times I asked this question, why are we at 105% of quota? Why are we at 97% of quota? How many times I asked that question and I probably every month, every quarter year, I was getting similar answers just packaged in a little different way. And as I reflect back, this book, they talk about QT. QT stands for question thinking. Our questions should be to get people to really think, whether that's themselves or remember what I started off with is this QT should be questions when we ask ourselves. And I'm gonna dive into this to explain this more and it'll come a lot more clear as I start giving examples. Because again, at the end of the day, if we're asking questions to ourselves and we relate it back to what the ultimate goal of winning the 16 is, which is becoming our best selves, or if we're coaching or leading someone else, ultimately our intention is to help them become their best self. These QT questions are pivotal because we're trying to get people to think and articulate. So what are some of these examples? Well, we all ask questions that can come across in a judging way, which is unfortunate. Let me give an example. Why am I failing? How many of us ask this? Why are you not performing to the level and expectation we desire? I think about our children. Why did you get a B or a C on that test? As a teacher, why did you not do your homework? These are all judging questions. And when I ask, and you all ask judging questions, what are the responses that we typically get back? And Dr. Adams talks about it in the book, people tend to get defensive, people tend to not be as accountable, and clearly they tend not to learn from those questions. So these judging questions, uh, I know I do them sometimes, and I wish, and after reading this book, I'm really focused on getting away from that why. Whereas we should be asking more questions from what Dr. Adams says, and I am so bought into that now, they should be more of learning questions. Let me give you an example. Instead of asking, why did someone potentially miss that assignment or not do that report? Question could be such as, what was the process that you work through as you were attempting to get that report in. If it's someone who didn't get their homework in, or let's say they didn't, uh, they failed the test, instead of asking, why did you fail the test? Or why did you get a C, whatever that might be, asking them, what did you learn from your experience and your preparation for that test? Let me say that again. What did you learn from the preparation that you did for that test? 
what a that forces that person you're talking to in this case it would be a student that forces them to think and it forces them to give you a response what was their process and they might just come across accountable and say i didn't put this time into it and then we can then have a conversation okay so it was a time issue let's talk more about that what about time that is what dr adams is getting to instead of asking questions where people tend to get defensive ask questions where we all can learn from that question. So also, let me give you another one that I really liked. And that is, why didn't you know this before asking yourself or others this type of question, meaning judgment versus learning? And I bring that up, it seems a little bit confusing, but what stood out to me is, because this is hard. A lot of times when we all ask questions, we don't have the time to sit back and say, oh, is that a judging question or a learning question necessarily? So what I'm saying is I was reading this book. This has really gotten me to think. And what I want to tie this into Win the 16 is this is about preparation. Am I good enough now to do it on my one-on-one -on -one conversations with people when I'm coaching them or in group sessions that I'm coaching? I don't know if I always am yet, but I can tell you if I prepare and start thinking about asking questions in more of a learning question setting, I think I can get there more often than not. So judging questions and judging mindsets, and I'm going to finish with this, bud, and for the listeners, they can look a lot more reactive. They can look a lot more, if people are in a judging mindset or asking judging, it's more looking for blame, potentially seeking out excuses. If we're honest, that's really what those questions are going to get potentially. It's also casting judgment on the other person. Or let me say what I started. It's casting judgment on ourselves. Because remember, this is about asking ourselves questions to win the 16. Whereas a learning mindset and learning questions those are impaired to win the 16 because those are more responsive. Those are more thoughtful. Those are more questions we're seeking to understand because not every day do we win the 16. But if we're asking those questions about, okay, what did I learn today on some of my misses? A couple challenges popped up on my day and I didn't get to all the things I wanted. What happened there? Let me reflect back. And it could be as simple as, we didn't get to those early successes early enough. We started getting on the defense early on. So, uh, but I'm going to conclude. And the main takeaways I want to share with everybody with this book is, as we're asking people questions, we should probably start to think a little bit more of, are these questions going to elicit more judgment? Or are the questions we ask others and of ourselves more going to be an opportunity for us to learn as we're asking our own selves questions to win the 16 or as we're asking other people because if it's in the judgment question we can't be mad at anybody but ourselves because we know these judging questions and i got to bring up my amazing susan who's my wife she knows i absolutely hate why questions so i need to do a better job on that so that's my book, Bud, and I really thought it was a very, very short book, but it was very, very much a book that I think is going to help me if I stay disciplined enough to really learn this concept more than I know it as of today.
Wow, Dave. Uh, tons to say. Both books sound fantastic. I haven't read either, um, but I've definitely put them on my to-do list. Um, I don't even know where to begin because uh, there's so much I want to say. I'm gonna, I think I'll start with the Covey book first. Um, Purpose versus Profit, you mentioned. Um, my book, Jim Collins, Built to Last, which is what I'm going to talk about next, uh, and I can't say enough about that book, really talks about the successful companies, and he mentions that topic. And the ones that are built to last are the ones that are purpose-driven, not profit-driven, which doesn't mean that they don't make money because they need to, uh, but it's the purpose that allows companies to stay forever, the ones that hold it most clearly. Um, I love the part about efficient versus being effective and how important it is to be effective with people. Um, that's fantastic. Um, your book about questions uh, sounds fantastic. That whole sense of judgment versus learning, that is an incredible skill and hard to do. Um, I think I'm going to add that to my list of skills that I need to work on. Uh, I'm not very good at it. Uh, and even though uh, the why questions and what have you, trying to rephrase those so it's a learning question to get people to open up and be comfortable and hear it um, is really, again, sounds easy, uh, but it's a really complicated task. Um, and then the last part you mentioned there about preparation, how important that is, is a great segue in to the Built to Last book. Um, that uh, by Jim Collins. It's the second book by Jim Collins that I've read. Um, it really is Win the 16 for Successful Companies uh, and Business Leaders. It, it entails about six years or more of longitudinal, rigorous longitudinal research where he looked at companies that succeeded and he had criteria about what made them successful and, and, and went back and said, what did they do differently from a peer company that was less successful um, or disappeared actually, didn't make it. Uh, and um, and I do love that because it really gets to the sort of critical thinker in me that it's, you know, these this isn't, oh, I just got lucky and made it. There's really principles here. Um, and he lays out what those principles are when applied that lead to success. Um, I love how he talks about greatness turns out to be largely a matter of choice, meaning the companies that were successful and built to last chose to do so. The other companies made choices that were counterproductive. Um, he, he leaves us with greatness is really there for the taking by following these principles that he lays out in the book, a fanatical discipline, empirical creativity, a productive paranoia, a passion and an ambition. Um, what's really, what's more win the 16 than that? The story from the book I'm gonna share is about the Arctic exploration and the race to the South Pole um, by Raoul Amundsen, the Norwegian explorer, and Sir Robert Scott, the British naval officer, because I think it does a wonderful job of really highlighting the uh, tenets of motivation, goals, habits, discipline, handling unforeseen challenges, and preparation. And really, in it, I'm going to contrast the differences between Amundsen and Sir Robert Scott. But I read this book in this section. I this story, which is great, it's detailed, it's in depth. I had to read it twice. This story to get the full impact. I literally had to go back and read this piece of it. So I remember vividly. It's a great story. That's why I was so excited. Yeah. You 
we're going to do this book because it's it's a it, there's so many takeaways. I I love it because of all the different details that go into it. Yes. Um, and again, it's 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 the win the sixteen principle about little things matter. Yes. Right? Small little movements matter. It's pushing that flywheel, right? Um, and when you listen to what we describe here about him, decide which is the leader you want to be, Ubmanson or Scott. And which is the leader that you would have pref you prefer to work for, an Amundsen type leader or a Scott type leader? Mm -hmm. So a little bit of background, you know, Amundsen was a Norwegian explorer of modest means. Um, at 21, he decided he wanted to be an Arctic explorer. He left his schooling. This is what he decided to do. He had years of experience with polar exploration using dogs and sleds. Um, and nor being Norwegian, I suppose, you know, he was a skier. Um, and he did that before he embarked on his trip to the South Pole. He had lived with and learned from the Intuits in the North Pole. Um, and that's where he learned how to use dog sleds. Uh, that's where he learned other survival techniques. Uh, and I wouldn't say survival, actually just living in these types of conditions. He also borrowed money to finance his jury, his journey. So his motivation was a little bit different than Scott's, right? He really needed to be successful to earn back that money so he wasn't financially bankrupt. Arctic exploration was his life's passion. Uh, and he had no really other scientific goals or other reasons to do the exploration um, that detracted or distracted him. He chose a route that was about 60 miles closer to the pole than Scott, because again, he had no scientific program to distract them. He also chose a route that had a lower altitude than Scott's, had warmer temperatures, and allowed his men to function much more efficiently. It required great skill in handling the dog sleds, which he had learned from his time in the North Pole, um, and it allowed him to ski more efficiently and his men more efficiently. Again, this was because of the time he actually spent with the Intuits in the Arctic Pole. Scott, on the other hand, was a British naval officer, was very much the establishment man, um, who admitted he had little predilection for polar exploration. He had done some polar, he'd done some discovery expeditions in the Antarctica three years before, before he headed off to the South Pole, but he had little training on dog sledding and skiing, and his motivation really was to advance his naval career, right? So very, his goals and the motivation was really important, I believe, in here. He really wanted to secure honor for the Brits. Uh, and again, he wanted to do scientific discoveries along the way. So it played a large role in choosing where he landed in the Arctic to make the expedition. He chose a place that was 60 miles further away, had higher altitude, was going to experience um, more difficult terrain, higher altitude, so it was going to be harder physically to perform, and it was going to be colder for him. Um, Part of the reason he chose that is that was the route chosen by a fellow British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, prior to them. He also chose to attack it in a different manner, where Amundsen just brought dog sleds and skis and brought men who knew how to use dog sleds and skis. He brought ponies and some dogs, but he also brought motor sleds, um, and he favored the old traditional way of Arctic exploration, which was man-hauling. And that was the British naval custom. Edmondson was very disciplined and detailed and prepared for other contingencies during uh, Arctic exploration because of his time actually living in the North Pole. 
He brought 52 dogs to man his sleds. His team was excellent at managing the dogs because it's not easy to do that. It takes skill. They were great skiers. And he set up a plan to travel 20 miles each day. Very rigorous, very disciplined. The speed they traveled because of their skiing and dog sledding allowed for longer periods of rest and recovery to battle the physical and mental demands of the task. This required great discipline at the time when they went, which is the summer of the South Pole. The sun rarely sets, so there isn't any diurnal uh, circadian rhythms to, to guide you. So he really had to tell his men, we've traveled our time, put up the tents, we're going to go lay down now. We're going to rest. It wasn't easy to do. He really forced them to do that. Um, and it was regardless of the day's travel. Some days were very easy to do the 20 miles. Other days were difficult. But he really wanted to establish a set pattern and he wanted to establish camp bases every 20 miles. That was going to be very important for him on his return trip. He knew exactly where he had to get, where he could get some shelter, cover, and food depots. He actually made great plans for food, far greater than Scott's as well. He brought 52 dogs. He didn't need 52 dogs to get there and back. So his plan was to, and this is a little bit gross on that, but was to use the dogs for food on the way, on the return home, okay? He also hunted seals on his way. So when seals were plentiful, his men hunted seals and they depoted the food in part because they had these set plans of where their base camps were every 20 miles. So it, was, it allowed him to build up a food reserve um, that he could rely on in the course of the journey, and it allowed him to carry less food with him so that, his care, that what he carried with him was lighter and easier. Uh, in fact, it ended up that Edmondson depoted three times more food than Scott did. So he had planned for contingencies of the unforeseen challenges of bad weather and what have you. He was ready for that. It actually was that his men in their 99 day trip actually gained weight. He also learned from his experience that the fuel that they used for their stoves and to melt water in the cold temperatures would leak. So he soldered the cans closed so he had no leakage. Um, so he also brought vitamins because he knew that scurvy was an issue with pemmican, they called it, oatmeal and other peas. He also learned from his time with the Intuits what the optimal clothing was. And this was different from what had been traditionally done. They use loose fitting furs. And so that when they were sweating during exertion, it didn't freeze on the inside while they rested. He displayed great growth mindset and learned from others, the Intuits, which was crucial to his success. Scott, on the other hand, only brought three sleds and he brought 20 ponies, 10 ponies, which was the traditional model of exploration. He brought 12 dogs. He did bring one expert skier to try to teach his men how to ski, but all of his techniques were used fairly poorly. His largest motor sled fell into the ocean when they started. He didn't bring the one person who was best able at, manu uh, at managing the sleds and repairing them because of a naval tradition, they used rank and protocol, and this person wasn't as high up on there, so they left him behind. So the one guy who could manage the sleds if there was any kind of a breakdown during a, what they expected to be a long journey of 1,800 miles, they left behind. 
He also brought snowshoes for his horses, but didn't put them on so that they could, so that they were sinking in the snow. And his men weren't trained on how to use dog sleds and they weren't skiers. And while he brought someone to teach them to ski, he never forced his men to learn how to ski. He fell back on the old noble tradition, British tradition of exploration of manhandling, which means he had his men drag the sleds and carry all the food. It was the slowest method of transportation possible. Food, Scott also miscalculated his greater caloric requirement because of the extra, extra work at the higher altitude and the slower pace of which he was gonna travel. He also ignored the dangers, which he knew of fuel leaking. He just chose not to do anything about it. Was this arrogance, ignorance, laziness, right? This contributed to his men getting dehydrated as they were unable to melt enough snow to stay hydrated during the rigorous trek across high altitude. He also didn't bring any vitamins and his men suffered for scurvy. He also ran out of food during the journey. He also used traditional garbs of layering which didn't allow for ventilation during the exertion. So when his men sweated, their clothes got wet and they froze, which made it stiff and hard to move. Edmondson only brought four men and 52 dogs, and he took off earlier in the season on October before Scott did. He benefited from some warm weather, which made sleeping and recovery easy. He did his 20 miles a day, and on December 14th, he reached the pole, 56 days after setting off. He spent four days there securing navigational information to assure that he had reached it. He sarcastically left a letter for Scott, uh, <laughs> noting that he had beat him there. And then on January 25th, 38 days later, he returned to his base camp. The whole trip took him 99 days, 10 less than Edmondson had actually prepared for. All five men of his returned and 11 of the 52 dogs returned. Scott, on the other hand, took a much larger party. He took 16 men, only 23 dogs, 10 ponies, and he left on November 1st, two weeks later. He took a larger, a harder road. He had an initial plan to take only four men. He changed that plan to take eight men. Then he changed the plan again to only go with one team of five. All this while he's in the middle of these difficult conditions, cold, and struggling. He altered his plan numerous times because he really hadn't prepared and set his plan out right on the first time. He eventually did reach the pole on January 17th with five men, 77 days after setting off and a one month after, or almost five weeks after Edmondson had set off. And he got there about a week before Edmondson's team was actually safe and returned from their trip back to their ship. Scott's trip was delayed by poor planning, lack of discipline, and not preparing for unforeseen challenges. He changed the plan of attack during the expedition without really the ability to account for the additional nutritional needs and the extra work of his men. He let the weather dictate his plan. He rested his men for days at a time when the weather was poor and pushed them hard when the traveling was good. And when he started to worry about running out of supplies, he suffered through poor overall weather than Edmondson, but didn't have a sound plan for addressing the known variable. By February 27th, he and his four men had covered 600 miles of the return trip, but
but still had a difficult 400 miles to go. The weather was worsening as they were moving into the fall season. And he finally departed from their final camp on March 19th, just 11 miles from where they had a one-ton depot with food and fuel that could have saved him. They never made that. They find out they found a journey, a journal, diary journal entry on March 29th, 70 days after leaving the pole and 147 days after leaving their base camp, which was Scott's final diary entry. He died there. So I love this story because it's a real, obviously overly dramatic account of the power of principles of win the 16, of motivation, goals, growth mindset, habits discipline, and preparing for unforeseen challenges. Built to Last is full of great examples. Most of them are not as dramatic as that, um, but I can't recommend it highly enough. Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, is also excellent. Built to Last is the one I would go to, though, if you only have time to read one book. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, that, the details in that, and when you read it, if you choose to or listen to it, I think you'll find it a, a real a real winner so so bud that's we're done we shared our four books hopefully this is going to help support everybody on their journeys to win the 16. we try to be a little innovative and creative today in sharing the win the 16 strategies and principles as a reminder in a different way so hopefully it was uh worthwhile so our next podcast will be two weeks from today, February 15th. So we would just like to remind everyone, please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And as always, please reach out to Pygon One Consulting at pygon1.com if you have any questions, uh, you'd like a discovery conversation, we would love to hear from you. So thank you for listening to Win the 16 podcast. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. Please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Regular episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 6 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go Win the 16.